members of the church and the leaders in the church here in Kota Kamuning for inviting me for the second time in this week. Uh, you, uh, they, they gave me the opportunity to share with you last Tuesday on my journey of faith, and I was happy to be with you, and I enjoyed the fellowship and the food and everything else. The food, the food, very important. Must feed the preacher. <laughs> Uh, in fact, uh, Sam told Sam Tan told Sam Lim uh, to Sam, Uncle Sam. He said, "You know, uh, Sam Tan tells Sam Lim tell me that a whole duck waiting for me. Oh, what's waiting for me this Tuesday? I don't about today. Huh? You got roast pig or not? <laughs> anyway, uh, it's good to be here, and I'm very happy this morning to also hear about the two baptism last Wednesday night." Uh, two young people at the age of uh, 15, my age, age when I became a Christian, not my present age. Uh, 15, that's commendable, that's very good start, because it coincides with my own baptism, 15, at the age of 15. So I congratulate the, the two uh, brethren who have been put on Christ uh, on Wednesday, and the parents and the teachers who helped them along the way. They did not become Christians on their own. They were taught and they understood the scriptures, the invitation, the promises of God, and they embraced it. And I think that's fantastic. And that's why heaven rejoiced over this wonderful occasion. Uh, this morning, I've been asked to speak on the topic of uh, what is your life. You're looking for a slide? Any no slide? <laughs> because I find that slides uh, constrain me quite a bit. I'm, I'm the type that I like to speak on my feet, so to speak. Uh, so, uh, you know, I may prepare a lesson. Actually, I did prepare my lesson. It's in my iPad here. I got a PowerPoint as well. But I don't like that. It's straight jacketed. You know, like I'm tight to just... I like to go with the flow, you know? <laughs> so the flow of my mind when thinking as I'm up here and I look at your faces, then I interact with you. And uh, that's how I like to speak and not so much tight to mind preordained slides, so to speak. Okay, so you excuse me today that I don't give you slides. So you will listen to me as well, huh? So that's because there's nothing else to look at. Right? Okay. This, uh, this, uh, this, was, uh, this last two years have been a great, uh, uh, a great what called uh, period of time. Great in the sense that it has impacted the lives of people. Uh, so much that you know, it's unimaginable, really unimaginable. And my wildest imagination, I've never thought that what happened in the last two years could happen. I mean, everything was going fine and life was going on very well. And I remember, you know, in our business, we're still thinking about planning about mergers and acquisitions and all sorts of things. It's the things of life, lah. You, you actually think that everything going on fine. Even when the first virus was found in Wuhan and there was fighting, I mean, there was issues of containment over there. The rest of the rest of the world, including myself, was still thinking that life goes on. We weren't really prepared or thinking about, hey, what happened if it happens here in Malaysia or it happens to the world? I mean, we never really thought about it. Because we had experience with SARS and all that, you know? It was very localized. It wasn't that bad. But this one was so incredible. It went right across the whole globe. And suddenly for two years, there was severe lockdowns. I mean, lockdowns, I mean, we couldn't get out of our house. We had to stay at home. And we, we, we couldn't work anymore. I can imagine the whole world just shut down. All of us stay at home. And all because there was a very invisible thing, invisible to our eye, naked eyes, making its round, the virus. And it knocks the whole world system down and causes what I call a reset. Many people say a reset, a resetting of what our world is all about, about resetting about you know, how, what we do, how we do things. It's, it caused the world to pause, to stop in its tracks. And I think a lot of people at that point I still didn't know. They were still going around. Then it hit them, you know. I, I had a friend in, uh, I mentioned before, a business associate, uh, and he was working very hard. I was told right through the night when he was infected, he was still working in his hospital bed. And next thing you know, he died. 
He died. That's it. Finished all his work that he was doing by his bedside. Actually, he was a real estate guy, yeah? So, Heng Kim Leng and Ki. Uh, you know him, right? I mean, he's Mr. No, he's the guy up north in Penang. He writes regularly in the newspaper and all that on real estate in Penang, yeah? That, that case, right to the end, he was working. What's the use of all that? Next moment, he's gone. Listen, I don't think uh, he thought that he would die. I don't think he thought he would die. If he knew he would die, I don't think he would be working so hard. I thought, I think he was thinking that he'll be okay. A lot of people think that way. Until later, uh, later when you see everything, everybody dropping like flies, uh, then he begins to say, uh, this is a bit real now. That's, that's when it strikes home, isn't it? <sighs> no, I, it caused people to pause, as I said, and rethink what your life's all about. Is it worth it to work till you drop? Don't even have time to say goodbye to your wife, your children, or whatever. He was still working. In fact, they said that he forgot to take his medication because he was so engrossed in his working. And that's probably the reason why he, he said that. That's what the speculation is. He was so engrossed in his work. He's a very committed person, real estate. You can be very, very excited and very you know, into it. Not bad, but. Now, it's something got to think about whether it's worth it. Now, I want to uh, draw attention to uh, a description, uh, a conclusion, or rather, observation made a very, very, by a very wise man. Very wise and very rich, very successful man. And that is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And uh, if you have the Bible, you can turn with me to the scripture. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, listen to what King Solomon said. He said, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the sun, but the earth abides forever. Then he goes on to verse the 14, he said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. This is a man who has got all the wealth, all the wisdom, well, everything you wanted. I mean, he's, got, he's a king. He was known, uh, well known to be a wisest king, and the richest one as well. But he came to this conclusion about life under the sun. You know, life under the sun means earthly life, our earthly life here on earth. Live without God, just on the pretext, on the basis of just doing what everybody else in this world is doing. And that's acquire as much as you can, live as well as you can, enjoy as much as you can. Hey, look, let me ask you, what are you looking for? What are, what's your life? That's the question we are talking about today, isn't it? What are you spending your life for in doing? Achieving what? Don't bluff me, okay? And say something else, esoteric. You want money. You want independence with freedom, financial independence. You work for money. You want, some of us are motivated by success. I want status that I will be you know, considered a successful person, achieve certain position in the, in, in the corporate world or in the business world or whatever, and be recognized as a titan, as a person who is great, success person, successful person in the world. Whatever your aspiration is, this is exactly what Solomon is talking about. And I want to say something. You can be successful without God. You can be successful in acquiring whatever you want to acquire. Be extremely rich. In fact, the richest people in the world today, uh, many of them are not uh, people who fear God or think about God. They are highly successful people. So you want to be successful, you can be. But Solomon said, I have observed that all these activities under the sun, that's the phrase you must remember. He repeated many times. Under the sun. Huh? This is all vanity. Vanity means futile. And is grasping after the wind. 
chasing after the wind. What does it mean by chasing after the wind? It means there's no end to it. You just chase and chase. What else you want? In fact, he says that uh, in you go back to verse uh, verse uh, seven. He said, "All the rivers run the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the river comes, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I mean." You want to see, see how much you want to see. Keep seeing that. You know, you're not satisfied. Just see, see, see. You want to hear, you hear. I mean, there's nothing new. One generation comes, another generation goes. I mean, we are living now in the 21st century. How many centuries have passed? I mean, soon we, you and I will be gone. And next generation will come. And that's life. It's a life cycle. Over and over again. He said, that is futility. In fact, he goes on to say uh, in... Uh, that later on, that in verse 14, when I said that, and then he says also that people will no longer remember you after you have done all that you did. People will no longer remember you. It's all past history. You know? It's, uh, and you think about all the great men in this world, about uh, Albert Einstein, talk about whoever, I mean, you know, uh, Thomas Edison, all these great inventors and all that. We respect them, but that's it. Their life is gone. What have they have contributed? But what is their life? Now, Solomon says we ought not to be focused just on the physical, as we will see later on. In you know, he started out in saying life is all futility, but in uh, verse uh, chapter twelve, verse thirteen and fourteen, he comes to a conclusion, isn't it? In chapter twelve of Ecclesiastes, last book, chapter of the book, he says. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, before the evil days come, when you shall say you have no pleasure in them. He reminds the young people to remember God. Now life under the sun without God is meaningless. But now you've got to remember there is a God. And surely that is the point of the life, of everything in our life. You know? If there is no God, eat, drink and be merry. Tomorrow you die. You know, there's nothing else. But if there is a God, then we got to consider carefully our responsibility to God, our Creator, our Maker, and that changes the whole paradigm. And it changes the whole mindset. And and Solomon basically saying, "Look, you can pursue a life here on Earth without God, but I can tell you, it's chasing after the wind. And it doesn't mean anything else at the end. Day. It will just be a waste of your effort. But remember your creators in the days of thy youth. And so I'm glad for the young two young person who are young." 15 years old, you remember your creator. Hey, this is not just any God, okay? It's not just you turn religious. You acknowledge your creator. That's important. It's like the children remember their parents, who their parents are. We have a creator. We didn't come here by chance. By accident. No. We have been designed, made, very beautifully made, wonderfully made, as the Swami says. We are wonderfully designed. Designed in ability to relate with one another, to have the ability to appreciate what is good and nice and beautiful, and to understand what is love, and to feel love, and to give love. Hey, love is a feeling. But it is something you cannot explain if it is not from God. Because pure evolutionary approach, materialistic evolution of pure matter, cannot create emotion. You know what I'm saying? Emotion must come from somewhere, isn't it? The feelings. Pure materialistic dust of the earth cannot possibly produce a not like there. There's no feeling in the material. It, you can design it to see. It has no emotion, no feeling. We have feelings. We have emotion. Let me ask you a question. Where did that come from? If you don't accept that he's a maker and a creator who possesses these attributes and imparted that to us, 
And you think that it comes from materialistic, pure evolution and accident. I think, I think you have missed the whole point, isn't it? I think you are mistaken, sadly mistaken. Because your ability to reason itself cannot possibly come from pure materialistic evolution. It must come from our Creator. That's why Solomon says, Remember now thy Creator. In the days of thy youth, before the evil days come, when you shall say, I have no place. Why, do I, why did Solomon say before evil did come when you um, find no pleasure in it? You see, a lot of people when they grow up, they don't have time for God. You think about it. Uh, I mean, the only time they come back to God uh, is just before they conquer. If they ever come back. Uh, you know, I don't think so. Uh, but most of the time, you grow up already. Uh, you don't have time for God. What time? What do you, what do you have when you wake up every morning? Work, man. That's the first thing in your mind, work. I mean, unless like people like Willie and Sandra, first thing you wake up is baby. Uh, because the baby, and that's because the baby makes sure that they don't forget her. They don't forget her. Yeah, because Haley will make, the, make you know. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> no, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't wake up in the morning. When you wake up, God says, hey, listen. I am God. Are you listening? God doesn't. He's silent. But the evidence of your sins of God is everywhere. If we can stop and think. But we don't. We just keep on going on this uh, routine that we, are, we have in our life. Grow up and get up in the morning, wash our face, dress up, and go to work because our boss says he must be there by 9 o'clock. Just deliver whatever is expected of us. And then 5 o'clock, you have time to go, go home to the traffic jam, and say, what's for dinner? You know, and then go home, have a good meal, watch your television, go bed, go, be go to bed early because tomorrow morning I've got to get up again, 9, 8 o'clock, you know, go to work. And you'll repeat that routine over and over again. You don't have time to stop and think about what life is all about. What is your life? And before long, and I started out working, I was 20-something, and now 65. Hey, I'm flu. I thought I was only 15 years old when I got baptized, you know, walking around, playing. But now, I'm actually older already. You know, people here, uncle, ape. Luckily, they haven't called me ape because my hair is black. If my, if my hair is white, I can imagine everybody calling ape, ape, ape. I go, oh. You know what a pet is, isn't it? <laughs> That's Hokkien. Okay, sorry. But the idea here is that, you know, time flies. So Solomon says, remember thy creators in the day of thy youth. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I learned about God at a very young age. I'm so thankful. Because I doubt that I will ever think about God if I had grown up without, without being told about God. I mean, we have been faced with the reality of God. I would have gone the way of everybody else in the world, pursue my own career and everything else. And if you ask me to talk about God, I said, don't waste my time. I don't have time. I've got, I got work to do. You know, I'm busy. I don't have time. Evil days come when you shall say, I have no pleasure in that. But as a youth, if you start out young, right, as our two young ladies have done, I think you have laid yourself a good foundation going forward. I'm so happy when young people obey the gospel because you have set your life in the right direction. Now, what does Jesus say about life? And that was right now hearing by Brother Willie just now in Luke chapter 12. And I think very interesting. We're going to spend some time here in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. It starts out that one of the uh, people in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. You know, that is the beginning of this parable. But this is the setting. The setting is people are fighting over material things. They are appealing to Jesus and saying, let's emphasize. Emphasize again. <laughs> Listen, he says, people are fighting over their asset, inheritance. 
You know, when I read this last time, I said, who would fight over assets? Terrible people. But I realize now, as you grow older, actually a lot of people fight over inheritance. They fight over assets. I mean, don't know. Even you will fight if you're not careful. You know, you know why you fight? You say, why, la? why my, my parents give me uh, so little and give the other person so much more? Or why, you know, you know, it's unfair and all that. And why my, I mean, it's material thing. Why, why give me a, a proton saga and give him a Mercedes? You know, uh, why give, me, give him a double-story house and give me a single-story? You know, a lot of this sense of unfairness and equity over material things. Preoccupation with such things. And so it is the setting here. Here they said to Jesus, Man, uh, it says, Teacher, tell my brother. You know, siblings' rivalry is terrible. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The implication here is the great injustice has been done here by my brother, my blood brother. How can you treat me like that? You're right, ah. teacher, teacher. You, you are the teacher from God, right? You know what is fair. He's taught to tell Sam to wake up and say, divide inheritance with me. Obviously, I felt the person saying he felt the injustice done, that he felt the unfairness, but otherwise he wouldn't appeal to the master, isn't it? He felt very uh, undone in that sense, not fair. This, this is unfair. Justice needs to be done. Teacher, tell him, my brother, to share. You know, when brothers fight over inheritance, triple. You know, but do we realize that sometimes our desire for early things causes us to have this sort of arguments with our siblings, with our parents? Because I know that. Uh, siblings that fought up, children that argue with their parents before their parents die, you know. It's true. You don't believe that? Yeah. There are people who ask for inheritance before the father died. You, you read that in the Bible, isn't it? Luke chapter 15. The, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the son came to the father and said, Father, give my share of inheritance so that I can go and do my own thing. And he did. And the father gave him the inheritance. What did he do with his inheritance? He wasted it. He lost it. Hey, no, in real life, I know that happened. I won't tell you who, but I know. Because a man, a son came and asked for an inheritance the father gave. And oh, lo and behold, it actually happened. He lost it all. Came back again. Father Samo give you know? uh, This reality that I'm talking about. But I think, and today you think sometimes this person. No, this is my, my, my share of the uh, inheritance, my money. Why are you spending my money? You know, I'm talking to a father now, okay? Why are you spending my money? Because father made him go sign a signature, no? In the, before the father wants to go and die, already, old already, man. So you, you put co signature in case I die, then you can, my son, you get money. Why are you spending my money? Oh, the father spending his money, he said, my money now. Why over such nonsense? Material possessions. That's what we think. Materiality. There's the issue of material possessions. That occupies our life. We fight over these things. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be bothered too much about these material, physical things. Because he says in verse 15, take heed. Take heed means listen. Are you listening? And beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That was true then, it is true now. And it's true forever. Our life is more than just our possessions. Don't fight over such things. Don't argue with your parents, with your siblings, about possessions. Just covetousness. You know, some people say, oh, you mean to say I'm a close my eye even though I'm cheated? In First Corinthians 6, Remember what uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth when the brothers were fighting among themselves, members in the church fighting over uh, whatever problems they had. I think some differences in terms of what's, what's due to them. And they go to court to sue each other. And Paul says what in 1 Corinthians 6? Why not be defrauded? Why not rather be wrong? Why do you do such things? Why do you go and argue about such matters in the courts of law? The point here is that as Christians, uh, we live to live according to what our faith is all about. 
If we believe in God, don't put so much emphasis on the material things. Sometimes we suffer from material losses. Injustices, unfairness, that's true. But these things should not be the main focus and preoccupation of our life. Do not become overwhelmed by so-called injustices, unfairness, and these things that happens occasionally in our lives. Because life is more than just your possessions. And so he went on to explain in verse 7, uh, 16 onward, in trying to explain to them why he should, why Jesus does not want to get involved in domestic uh, issues about inheritance, and why you know, he tells them life is more than just the things you possess. He tells them this parable, this story, about the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. This is success. You have found gold. You have found oil. I mean, your field, whatever you are. You are blessed in a way. You know, achieve something great financially. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my crops. So he was a smart guy. He didn't waste his money like the prodigal son did. This is a very prudent man, a very smart man. Some, the one who is very wise and astute. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater ones, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. So he protected and preserved you know, your wealth management business, huh? uh, wealth creation. You already got wealth created. So now it's wealth protection and wealth preservation. He did that. You know, some of us like to advise people how to protect, you know, how to preserve your wealth, isn't it? Wealth management. And so this man did it. He said, I'll do this. And then he says this verse 19, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be married. You know, that's ultimate, isn't it? What are you looking for in life? The plentiful supply that you need so they don't worry about where your food is coming. You have got it all. Yeah? And you know what? You, you know, you know what? How would you describe this man? Proud? No. Un unsatisfied with what he achieved? Dissatisfied with what he has achieved? No. I would describe him as a man who is very contented. He's a very contented man. Yes, yes, it all. He's, he's very contented. It means he's not, he's not looking for more. Eh? The, the scripture didn't say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a world empire. I'm going to acquire and be the biggest. Uh, business in the whole world. He didn't do that. He said, I have it down now. I just need to preserve this wealth and then tell myself, just enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be buried. What's wrong with that? I think that's fantastic. I want to be in that position where I have my financial independence. I got my health. He didn't say he was sick. He's happy. He just said, hey, I'm contented. I am so blessed. I'm contented. He didn't use the word blessed. I'm putting it. <laughs> but people say that, right? I'm, no, I'm blessed. Whatever who blessed them, they don't care. They already got the money. They got everything. Yes, that's true. They're contented. And, and, and this is the sad thing about life under the sun, as Solomon describes it. Verse 20. But, he begins the word, but, oh, but, there's a but here. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? You see, mortality, the idea of fact that you think you can live forever in this world with all your abundance, no? Just when you feel you are contented and satisfied with what you achieve, God knocks at the door and says, Time to go. Then what are you going to leave behind? Everything. You're going to leave behind. Whatever your possession is, all the great bonds you have, is gone. The Bible doesn't say who goes to. Maybe it's children, whatever. But it's irrelevant. The point is, you have left it all. This thing, he asked the question, who will these things belong? Not to you, definitely. So all your effort is all wasted. Contentment is a great thing. A lot of people say, I want my life to be contented. I live a very contented life. I don't desire for more. I've got enough. I think this is the 
This is the perfect life. Being contented. And some Christians say, yeah, yeah, contentment. The Bible said contentment is very important. Being content with what we have. But I want to suggest to you the Bible says something more than just contentment, isn't it? First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 6, right? And verse what? 69. Let's see, yeah. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse uh, where it says verse 8, sorry. It was uh, 6, sorry. First Corinthians 6, 6. First Timothy 6, 6. Wow, old earlier. Uh, circuit a little bit. Not working very well. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Paul didn't say contentment is a great gain. Many of us think that contentment, a lot of people in this world think contentment is ultimate. Being contented with what you have is a great gain. No. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just contentment. A lot of people are contented. The young rich man was very contented. But it's no gain to him because he lacked godliness. Godliness means doing the things of God. Doing the things of God, being like God, being following the ways of God, doing the will of God. Godliness. Hey, the man wasn't rich towards God. He forgot about his creator. That's the evil day comes in his time. And he, had no, he didn't know about God or didn't acknowledge the existence of God, that God has, you know, that he has been blessed with such great things. Good. What happens to his life? He says, these things are all left behind. He's chasing after the wind. But there is a God. Because there's a God, we must lay a foundation to meet up to meet God. Actually, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, since we are there, let's go on to verse 6, 17, huh, where it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, and store up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, a few things to note here. Number one, he says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Enjoying life is not wrong, because the scriptures say God gives these things for us richly to enjoy. Enjoyment is not wrong. It's the problem with the rich man wasn't that he enjoyed the life. That's not the problem. It's okay to enjoy life because the scriptures say God gave us this thing to enjoy. Our life is not to live in a very aesthetic way and deprive ourselves of food and, bread and things in, in this world. No, it's okay to enjoy. God gave us to us richly to enjoy. But, he says, you must not fail to trust in the living God. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but to trust in the living God, the Bible says the living God, not just in God, but living God. God is alive, and God is alive today in our life. God is well and alive as we read, sing the chorus. We must trust in the living God and not in uncertain riches. Then he says we are to do good and do, be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. As a result of doing that, we are storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come, laying a good foundation for life to come, that we may hold off eternal life. In other words, our life here is a life of laying the foundation for the life hereafter. We must not forget, we must prepare ourselves in this life for life hereafter. Some people say, what life hereafter? I only trust in what I see not what I cannot see. You're talking about life hereafter? I cannot see that. What's the relevance of that? But friends, the Bible precisely tells us that what is unseen is more important than what is seen. That sounds a bit strange, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says, no? You believe the Bible? Second Corinthians chapter 4. 
Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse verse 16 through 18. Second Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, verse 18 is the one you got to watch out. Right? It says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What the Bible is telling us that there are physical things that you can see in this world. But be careful. You must look beyond just the physical. There is the things that are not seen, the spiritual. These things will be eternal. You know, physical things have a lifespan. It will die. What you see, physical things either deteriorate or die. But spiritual things does not. It will be eternal. It has got no physicality to it. No limitation. It's spiritual. The things that are spiritual, the unseen, are eternal. You know the danger of walking by, not by faith, but by sight. Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we, For we walk not by sight, but by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is seeing, right? We see. A lot of people say seeing is believing. I only see, then I believe. But what is not seen, I cannot believe. But faith requires to see what is not seen. How does faith come about? Romans 10 verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? Romans Hearing by the word of God. God's revelation. God tells us what unseen things are all about. And warns us about what is coming. There is God. He's a spirit. You cannot see God. No man has seen God who is a spirit. God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes. He has been revealed to us who he is. We know who God is. But the unseen things is eternal, he said. Not just illustrate a point. You remember the Titanic? The great Titanic? The best ship that was built and designed at that, during, during those times? It's supposed to be unsinkable. It's fantastic. It's fantastically designed. Everybody was proud of it when it sailed out from the port of Southampton. Right? And guess what? It did not see something. It did not see the iceberg. Iceberg. They submerged under the water when it's living out on it. You know how big the iceberg is. But the Titanic did not see. The captains and the crew did not see what is not seen below the water. And lo and behold, the Titanic hit the iceberg, or the iceberg hit the Titanic. Either way, they matched and collided. And guess who, what happened? Titanic sank. For moments of joy and, and I mean, those of, those of them who uh, paid huge amount of money to go into this great Titanic for the maiden voyage, I mean, it was a fantastic thing, isn't it, to be in that vessel. I guess they were probably telling their friends, wow, this is my life. You know, I've got a chance to sail in this fantastic ship, you know, design. This is a blessing. This is great. This is an achievement to enjoy. Did not see what is unseen. Iceberg awaited them. Came from joys to cry and moaning and screaming. The songs of nearer my God to thee. Just in a moment. You see, the unseen is the one you want to worry about, be concerned about. The unseen. What you can see, you can change. I can see, I can move around. What you cannot see, is very dangerous, important. But the Bible says, what is unseen, God has revealed to us, the spiritual things. And God is now telling, it's like God telling you, there's going to be an iceberg ahead of you, I got you an option. You can go ahead and ignore what I say to you, enjoy your titanic voice, and meet your fate. Or you listen to me, and avoid that. 
and take a different route. Today, Jesus said the same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, he says, He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Understand, the broad way is easy. It's easy, it's wide, there's no struggle. And many will go in by it because it's, no? we have uh, what we call comfort in numbers. When everybody is doing it, I feel very comfortable. Why be the odd person out here? Yeah? Everybody is doing it, I go. This is the routine of life. Everybody is doing it. The clever person, the richest person, everybody is going through this way of life. It's broad, it's easy. I'm going in. Safety in numbers, as we say, say to ourselves. On the other hand, Jesus said, there is a way that's narrow and difficult because you're going against the stream. You're going against the current. You're going against everybody else in this world who wants to go by the Broadway. And he said, very few will go therein. But that leads to life. The other one leads to destruction. Now, a life of faith, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. And the word of God lays it down for us and tells us, look, if you believe me, don't choose the broad way because it will lead to destruction. Hey, what are you talking about? I've got all the money in the world. I've got wealth. I've got status. I've got respect. I've got everything. What is so bad about that? And I'm not greedy. I'm contented. I'm happy. Listen, those are not the hallmarks of what will end. How you end up because there is a way that leads to destruction if you don't have God in your life. That's the key. That's why in Luke 12 he says, So is he who is rich, who is not rich towards God. Not rich towards God. There's no godliness. There's no thinking about God. God does not figure in his life. Brethren, are we so focused on what we see in our daily life? Or we focus also on the spiritual things which are not seen? And because it's not seen, it's difficult and requires to walk by faith. And that walking by faith means trusting God and believing God, what God says. You know, I will close soon, I know. I have to close soon. James, I will close with James. James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, or what is your life. It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So the scripture tells us here, again, it describes the situation of a normal life. A, a businessman who is planning his life and saying, this is what we're going to do. Nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with making a profit. The Bible doesn't condemn that. But what's the problem there? They're planning it without God in their mind. Without God being figuring in anywhere in, your, in their planning. It's all purely their own effort. And so they say, we go there, sell, make a profit. He said, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Or what is your life? And that's the title of my lesson, isn't it? Or what is your life? So I'm going to begin my sermon now. No, no, no. <laughs> I'll end my sermon now. <laughs> so don't worry. So he said, for what is your life? And he gives the answer. For it's like a vapor that appears for a little while and then, hey, you know, the average lifespan of people in Malaysia, I checked on the internet, is 76.5 years or something like that. Average lifespan of Malaysian. Singapore is slightly longer. So you want to live longer, go to Singapore. <laughs> in Malaysia, it's 76.5. I'm 66. So I'm give and take, I've got 9 or 10 years on me. I don't know about the rest of you, okay? It's not much. Not much, huh? 
twinkle of the eye, like a vapor, a light disappears. That's what he describes us. You know, someone said about this poem about the, a man who, who came and to the, the wake or the funeral service of his friend. And he, he said he read about the, the dates on the tombstone. Huh? Born this year, dash, died this year. That's what tombstone right, isn't it? Birth and death. Birthday and death. Day. And between that is a dash. It's called a poem called Dash. The Dash poem. Dash. He said between these two dates, uh, that dash uh, between the two dates represents your life. That dash. What happens between your birth and your death? That dash is your life. What do people remember about your life? Think about that. What do people remember about your life? That dash represents it. But I won't go into the talk poem itself, but I'm trying to tell you that life is very short, the Bible says. It's like vapor that appears for a little while and then it's away. Two things. One is, it's short. Second thing, it's uncertain. You do not know when you're going. You don't know when God is going to call you. Very young or old. I say some six, it may not happen. That's an average. You know what an average means? It doesn't mean that everybody will go some six. Some go younger, some go longer. Mahate is 96, you're going. You know? And some of us have gone earlier. This last week, I got a call from a friend of mine who was classmate in Form 6 high school. And she said, I don't know how to tell you, but my cancer relapsed. And I'm not going to take chemo. I'm going to go. You know? And, and she said, I'm crying because I don't know how else to, to cope with this. And I also don't know what to say. You know? If, uh, what do you say? But it tells me life is like a waiter. It's going to go. You're going to face a mortality. So it says, but the key point here is this, in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's wills, we shall live and do this or that. That means, you know, we use the word, if God is willing. Bible uses that many times. Paul uses that. God willing, I'll come to you. God willing, in his will, I'll come to you. God's will is important. We can plan our plans, but God must be the one who makes our plan happen. We must trust our plans to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. This is what Proverbs 3, verse 4 and 5 says, isn't it? So, we must trust God. The life that's lived under the sun, as Solomon said, without God, is life chasing after the wind. But life lived with God was lay a sure foundation for the life to come. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said to the disciples, for those who have uh, said, left everything, in verse 29, in verse 28, he, he says this to them. Then Peter began to say to Jesus, say, see, we have left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospel's sake, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. For the Christian, life here on earth is not just all about living for the afterlife. There is a life here that we should live. Jesus said you can, you'll be blessed in this life. Blessing in terms of no anxieties, Philippians 4 verse 6 7, because the peace of God can guard our hearts and minds. We have the assurance God is with us in this life. That's a blessing. Jesus said, I came to give life and give more abundantly. John 10, 10. So we find that there is this blessing of life here on earth with God. But there is also the laying of the foundation for the life hereafter, eternal life. So we have both with God. Then it's meaningful. Because ultimately, all of us have to give an account of our lives to our Creator. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 6 says, verse 6, verse 7. I tell you, my, my, my scripture quotation now means one verse or two words, sometimes the whole chapter, sometimes the whole book. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. That means our physical body, beautiful as it may look, macho, macho, no, whatever it is, it's going to go to the dust from which it was taken. But the Bible says, 
the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Do you know that our spirit comes from God? God gave us, and we will return to Him. And therefore, we need to live our life in acknowledgement of our Maker, our Creator, and the one who supplies our spirit because we will return to Him one day. Are you prepared to meet God? Are you prepared to meet God with how you have lived your life? How have you lived your life? I hope the pandemic has caused you to rethink about your priorities in life. I hope that you will realize and make changes in your life and not become like the rich man, seeking to be rich and contented and happy, but without God. Because at the end of the day, Solomon says, this all chasing up the wind. So I said, Solomon ended up in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14. In verse 1, he says, remember now the Creator in the, in the days of thy youth, right? And verse 13, he says, here, the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the conclusion of the whole matter, he says. Conclusion of everything. Fear God and keep His commandment. For this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 14. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed, everything, into judgment. Whether things are good or bad, you will all be judged. Because there is a judgment, because God is God, our Creator. We need to be aware of that. And fear Him. Fear Him is respect Him, acknowledge Him, and be submissive to Him, to His will. Fear God and keep His commandment. For this is the whole of man. This is, the, this is our life. This is the whole life of man. To respect God, fear God, submit to God, and keep His commandment. This is the whole duty of man. Because there is a judgment coming. If there's no judgment, there's no God, then fine. Do whatever you want. But there is a God. And your rejection of what you cannot see does not mean it's not real. Remember the Titanic. You didn't see, but it's real. Remember the virus. You cannot see, but it's real. Isn't it? Can you see the virus? We're not really naked eyes. But it hits us all. Big, strong men like us. Like, more fatal than anything else. Bullet the yeah, this, one, this one got no external effect. Just the dead. The virus is so strong. It attacks internally. Do not reject the unseen. Do not just walk by sight. Walk by faith in what God has revealed to us. I hope all of us will choose a life of faith and trust in God and not in our own eyes and live this life. I thank you very much for your patience, your perseverance, and your attention. May God bless every one of you. As we stand to sing the song Encouragement, prepare to meet thy God. If you have a need to obey the gospel of Christ, because Jesus has made the way possible for us to go back to heaven, that way is paved by Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to a father except through him. So you can come to God, follow the narrow path by following